0: I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our featured poet today is Cheryl Denise from Philippi, West Virginia. She lives on an intentional community of Shepherd's Field, where they raise a flock of Jacob sheep, and they sell wool and things that are made from wool. She's the author of two books of poetry, What's in the Blood, and I Saw God Dancing. She also has a CD of Spoken Word of Music, so she enjoys performing her poetry as well as writing it. And so, Denise, I'm so glad you're here. You're a friend of Kirk Judd's, and when he recommended you, I said that's good enough for me. So (laughs) here we are. Thank you. (laughs) And uh, you sent me some poems, some of which have to do with the sheep, and I love that because it's – one role that poetry plays is just telling us about things in life that are in someone else's personal life that's not in ours as the reader or the listener. But, but actually, before we get to the sheep, um, for that same reason that I don't know a lot about it, I thought I'd like to ask you about your poem, Panic Attack. Why don't you read that poem and we'll talk about it a little bit. It's, I have not had a panic attack that I'm aware of. I guess you would know it if you did. You Um, would know it. (laughs) Okay. And and you can tell me you're you're confident when you say it. I know you know. So uh, let's hear that poem.
1: Okay. Panic Attack. My husband leans toward me, eyes soft as summer, waiting for me to speak, wanting to fix me, as if I am an engine or leaky faucet, as if he can wrench the words out, rearrange my thoughts and piece me back together. Like someone scratching inside my skull, I cry, a sharp wind scraping my skin, a slow motion funnel cloud, a lightning struck. My hands, my mind, my stomach, singed pieces everywhere, flying in the kitchen, the living room, outside the picture window, wavering above the grass. Someone tosses me away, piece by piece, as if it's a game as if they're in charge, ordering me to sit down, be quiet. I like to do as I'm told. I want to pass, but I failed grade two and liked it. Easier the second time with the new kids who didn't know about that afternoon I wet my pants during math. The second year, I knew some answers and waved my arm. My husband keeps looking at me, keeps probing. I want him to stop. I don't tell him how I pulled over on my trip to Alora last fall, wrote him a letter, instructions, permission on how and when to leave me. How I kept it three months in the glove compartment, then tore it up, buried it in gas station trash. What I do say is all the colors turn off and my insides jabber and tell lies, and my dark red meat twitches like I am full of candy bars and coffee, like I need to sprint around my old high school track, find the mistake. Meanwhile, all the pieces fly farther and farther, dispersing in the hayfield, slow and impossible, as that puzzle in the back of my second grade class my teacher wanted me to finish. The pieces must fit together. I gather as many as I can. I don't know where I begin, where I end. My husband and my teacher settle together again at the big desk in the back, waiting.
0: I think that is is so incredibly interesting. Did this affect your understanding of the experience, writing about it?
1: Yes. And the reason I wrote about it, I, I had the panic attack. And um, and then the, it was like the next day, I remember sitting at the kitchen table and my husband said, told me to explain it. And I, I said, I can't explain it. And he's like, no, tell me. Tell me what happened. What what happened to you? And I was like, I can't tell you. And he's like, you're a poet. You, need, <laughs> you should be able to tell. And I was so mad at him. And he told me I should write about it, and I think it was very helpful and very good. And it was it was a very hard poem for me to write, and I haven't I, I, I'd say I've probably had two panic attacks in my life, um, so hopefully it it stays that way. Yeah. Um, but um, but writing about it was was very therapeutic, and um,
0: yeah the piece, I'm wondering about the various parts of the poem, I don't know, could you tell how it came to you or was it too long ago for you to be able to recall that kind of detail? I mean, it, I can see different things where I'm saying, if I was trying to do it and experience, and there you've got this, someone scratching inside my skull, scraping my skin. Slum, um, I mean, did you sit down and 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 spew out phrases on a page about what it's like, or I don't know? I find it mysterious and very interesting.
1: Yeah, and I'd say that stanza: um, someone scratching inside my skull, a sharp wind scraping my skin, a slow motion funnel cloud, a lightning strike. Those three lines took a long time to figure out. I'd say I'd say that took a long time. I had different metaphors in there that didn't fit. I had lots of metaphors that didn't work together. And I think you don't feel like you're together when you're having a panic attack. So maybe oh, yeah. that was part of it. Um, but it, it did take me, it seemed like an extra long time to to write this and work through it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And that comes through later when when you do bring things, when you say that things come back together. So that that's there in the poem, I think. At least I was feeling that way yeah. mm-hmm. while you were reading it. And yeah, and he's trying to be helpful, but you really wish he would stop. Yes, he's
1: trying to be helpful, but I really wish he'd stop talking. <laughs> just shut <laughs> up.
0: <laughs> you want to just suffer in silence, suffer on your own, and pull somehow, try to pull through it. But it goes, on, it goes on those those other elements at the end with a, the letter in the glove compartment and. Uh, and and something later too it was another element like that like the well wet in your pants in school those two things were like seem like excursions but i don't know how how they come in as explanations it fits but it's just very interesting
1: yeah and that whole that that letter i wrote and put in the glove compartment i never told him about that and the first time he heard about that was when i finished this poem you know yeah (laughs) which was, you know, there's just things you don't tell each other.
0: <laughs> so that's right.
1: He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah.
0: Sounds like it from the poem. He gets lots of points from uh, his behavior in the poem, I'd say, <laughs> as, as you recall it, you know. So that's really, that's really something. That's.
1: And that's I think good. part of
0: the poem, too,
1: is, you know, a panic attack. I kind of feel like somebody else, you know, is tossing me away. Somebody else is in charge of me. Hmm. And I like to do what I'm told. I want to pass and that just the part about failing grade two. That just came right back. You know, I failed grade two, but the second time I went through it, I knew things. I could say things. I could answer questions, and I felt good about it. Um, so there was there was something with that grade two that tied into that whole panic attack. That um, yeah. those feelings. Yeah.
0: Does does a panic attack happen like come on a person? Um, like immediately, or does one gradually feel kind of funny and then?
1: seem Fairly immediate. Like, you know something's going wrong and something's happening and things are spinning out of control and, and you know it's happening. And then if you kind of, if things don't get figured out soon, yeah, it Boom. becomes a full-blown attack.
0: Yeah. Okay. yeah. Interesting. Very, very, very interesting. Extremely interesting. I certainly have never run into a poem about panic attacks. Okay. And and all my poetry therapy friends are going to love hearing what you have had to say about it. Oh, um, good. I, really, I hope it's helpful to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that idea about how, how, I mean, we tell people, right, if you write about the experience, it not only helps to inform the audience, of course, for the poem, but but you yourself understand more about what you're writing about. Yes. As you try, as you try to get it right.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: There's, there's that, that desire to get it. Right, because it's your experience. You want to represent well. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so that is very cool. That is really very interesting. Um, You want to move on to sheep or uh, whatever? What do you want to do?
1: Well, why don't I read um, Brother Lawrence and the Sheep? That's a fairly um, new poem. Um, Actually, very new.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Okay. Brother Lawrence and the Sheep. 8 a.m., I stumble to the barn in my old high school stoner jacket with the missing black buttons. The weeds no one ever seems to pull or hoe or mind, sway in the grass, wild as my boss in a temper tantrum. In the warming sunlight, fat Borbies begin to chew holes in the rafters, like the board members who took away Good Friday as a holiday. I swat them with that tennis racket that lies on the hay bale. Feel the satisfying thud. Watch the stunned bodies in the dirt winding down. I sweep manure from mangers. Clatter the feed can and the flock flows into the barn. They rise. Plant their front feet in the troughs. Throw their heads heavenward. A bleating, starving choir. I tap my metal scoop raise it like a baton, and sing my old Sunday school song about patience. As choir director, I should commit to the words. It's been years since I sat inside the barn, waiting for a lamb to sniff my legs, cock his head, one ear drooping with the weight of a yellow ear tag, waiting for the ewes to take me in, to plop down, almost near, and chew their cuds. It's just chores now. I imagine Brother Lawrence hanging his head as he creaks through the weathered walls. Practice the presence of God, he chants. If I could, doing dishes, you can, tending sheep. But I'm no monk, I retort. Unlike you, I have a real job with a boss who doesn't give a shit about poetry or barns, let alone my soul, and I'm late. I hurry back to the house. Larry, one step behind, recites a homily on holy habits. I plug my ears, dress, eat. Larry shakes his head as I zoom down the lane. God is everywhere, he heralds over the fence. It'd make the day easier if you'd start by saying hello.
0: I like that he moves from uh, Brother Lawrence to Larry.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Brother Lawrence is a good guy. I think he'd let me call him Larry.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just cool moving it to that, to that colloquial thing. Now, one thing I was surprised by, I, I when I read you're in an intentional community, I figured there wouldn't be a boss. That it was some kind of, you know, egalitarian, uh, whatever. Oh,
1: Yeah, the boss is, we we don't farm to make, we don't make money on the farm. So I have another job and have a boss. So it's not the, yeah. So everybody in the tensional community has other jobs. We just have a small flock of sheep and and that's our hobby thing but okay. yeah we don't we don't irk our living from it we're not that good
0: <laughs> it's, like, it's like having poetry in a day job huh okay.
1: yes yeah
0: sheep in a day job <laughs> yeah you need sheep
1: poetry and a day job
0: <laughs> that's it for a full life <laughs> this this is uh another one where you know if if a person had never been around this kind of environment just thinking about the details of what what it takes to uh to have sheep, I suppose you could say, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the various things you've got to get up and do out there in the barn to make it all happen. Um, I, I love poetry as, as cultural transmitter and, and just telling us about the various niches of life that we would never know. Is, is this the one what, where was the was one poem where this one sheep wouldn't, wouldn't go in like go in the barn for you, but the other person yeah. came along and it just hopped right in. Now that was, that was rather, that's, that's rather interesting. Um, is that really true?
1: Yes. Yes. That poem was totally true. The, the two sheep got out and I couldn't get them back in. And I called the neighbor lady. She was home and they went right in for her, but they wouldn't for me.
0: Is there? Did you develop a hypothesis about that or is it just a mystery of nature?
1: It's just a mystery.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, good. Take us deeper into the world of sheep
1: okay i'll read that one again with the sheep yeah and this is all true
0: (laughs) again that's the idea when we get the first person account and you say well you couldn't make it up no 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 you think you could and they say no you wouldn't make that up it's just again with the sheep
1: today the calendar says write poetry before getting up before leaving that watery time but outside my bedroom window Two sheep are on the wrong side of the fence, as if the fence were just a suggestion. This is a community farm, but the men are gone. The men are always gone when the sheep get out. Shutting my notebook, I plunge my feet in black boots and trudge to the barn, find the feed can empty. Buddha says, breathe deep, even, gentle. I try damn men. I shake a small bribe in a yellow bucket, yell, Sarah, Sarah. I call every you Sarah, after that good one, that Suffolk, who went to market years ago. She ate from our hands, led the flock where we said. Again, I jostle the feed, and the two impudent ewes fling up their faces and take off bleeding, chasing me to the barn but at the open door, they stop. Understanding the trick, they stomp, turn, dirty wool balls bound down the field. Panting, I phone Manette, sheep, out, tried, can't. She comes in her magical calm and the ewes, as if deciding she is the good shepherd, trot into the barn behind her. With that done, We walk the fence line, search for holes, tufts of pulled wool on barbed wire. I apologize for interrupting her mourning. She laughs, it is what it is, her mantra for anything that goes awry. Unable to leave, I sit watching the flock and they watch me. I am dissolving in the thick black lines of their pupils. With hard yellow teeth, they yank clumps of grass. Jaws jut side to side. They baa as if their mouths are full of marbles, as if to say we are content and intend to stay. With that, they send me home.
0: It's a great story.
1: And I was so mad at them because I was supposed to write poetry that day and they didn't let me, but I got a, I got a poem out of it anyway. Yeah, that's okay.
0: (laughs) Right, 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 right. Hey, do you have any particular poets who inspire you?
1: Yeah. Well, like you said in the, Kirk Judd, um, he really changed the way um, I thought about poetry and how poetry um, could be written. And he has that one, that poem, um, oh, about my people was music. And I remember hearing that and thinking, oh, his people sound so wonderful and so exciting and, um, um, and all that. And I thought, you know, to myself, oh, my people are so, oh, boring and dull and quiet. And I wrote a response poem um, to that at one point. And that's always fun writing a response poem. And then, and then yeah. in my response poem, I realized I love my people. My people are just different than Kirk's people. Um, <laughs> But and I also love um oh Gregory Orr. Um he's a wonderful poet. Um and if you go way back reading Rumi, um, Rumi just mm-hmm. makes you happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he he's a good guy to have around.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was I was thinking of the response poem. That's a really good idea, like uh, My People was out of tune or something. Yeah. <laughs> That'd <be pretty> good. <laughs> my people got cut from band <laughs> 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 or some other kind of silliness, but it's fun to write a response or to just write a kind of a, a parallel poem.
1: Yes. yes.
0: Um, just, just saying yeah. the same things, but put it in a different place yep. take an ur- urban thing and put it in the country or country and put it in the city mm-hmm. or, or whatever it might be. It's, it's a, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. i any little idea I can get like that. That'll make me write a poem that maybe will be okay. Yeah. I yep. want to try. I want to try it. You know, Any, anything else I should know about life out there? I for people who don't know, um, Philippi is uh south of Morgantown. And that puts it out there at the west end of Maryland, I guess I could say, because I know where the state of Maryland is. And uh if you ever get a chance, just drive on out there because you won't know you're on the east coast. That's my yeah. feeling. That's the way I used to feel about it. You don't know, would never know this is on the east coast with all this much natural you know the mountains and the wonderful wilderness and whatever.
1: Yeah, it's it's a, it's a beautiful spot and sometimes I forget how beautiful it is until people come to visit and um and they remind me. Yeah. yeah. How did you get there? Oh, um we knew a few uh a couple that lived in Harmon, um which isn't that far from here and my husband and I we met in Colorado and neither of us fr- are from there but we loved the mountains and the hiking and the cross country skiing. And um, we both grew up in rather flat places. And um, but Colorado was too far from home. So when we got married, we came to West Virginia, saw the mountains, found jobs and just stayed.
0: There you go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I lived in Colorado Springs for a year and certainly is lovely out there. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was quite a while ago. I hear it's pretty built up. Seasuries, yeah, we lived right way is. down
1: south in Lahara, real hick uh-huh. little town. Um, but it was beautiful.
0: Yeah. 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 Great. Well, I think we have time for another poem. So let's have another poem before. Okay.
1: We're... Well, I'll, re- I'll read fences. Fences. Sometimes I wish Becca, my old roommate, were here, sitting with me inside the fence with the flock. Back in Lahara, where we volunteered to fix poverty, she taught me to two-step, eased me from worry. She has never come to Shepherd's Field. In Durango, she paints pictures, fences in the sky. On wooden panels, she layers color, sands, scratches, repeats. Yesterday, two rams broke through and wandered the woods farther and farther. Forced to trespass for hours, I shook a bucket of feed, calling Merlin, Odie. Becca would have told me when to stop, sensing they'd probably come home, come dark, like we all do after some wild excursion, and she should know. And they did, settling themselves outside the barn under the oak to sleep like always. Becca says, when two fences don't meet, The space between is called no man's land. No one owns it. Anyone can use it, but I won't. I prefer to stay inside my fences, patch holes, latch gates, walk thin, well-worn paths. To the same truth, the same poem, the same God. Becca doesn't need a path. Her fences wander off hills into pockets of sky. They meander like bands of preschoolers holding hands on a field trip. She dismantles white picket fences, teaches borders are transparent, sometimes. She calls her collection boundaries, but they aren't. They keep nothing out, nothing in. They scare me, all that looseness, that rising. Who would I be if I wandered there?
0: Oh, I think Becca sounds like a pretty wonderful person. I have to tell
1: you. She was a great roommate. Yeah, I mean, we were roommates in Colorado. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah. this is, this is I'm, I'm, Everything you're saying here seems extremely complimentary from my point of view, I would say.
1: <laughs> she was very good for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh,
0: okay. <laughs> and I love, I love the band of preschoolers. Meander like a band of preschoolers holding hands on a field trip. Yeah, that was that, it, a, it
1: wasn't a straight line.
0: That's such a cool way to say it. I just, I, you know, it just popped out of me because, again, it's not something you see every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: A band of preschoolers on a field trip. That's just <laughs> too lovely. Yeah, between the fences is no man's land. That's that's kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a great idea that nobody owns that land that, and anybody mm-hmm. can use it. That's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Well, that's been really, really nice. Enjoy hearing your poetry and learning a little bit about Philippi. Philippi, damn it. Yes. <laughs> learning a little bit about Philippi. Philippi. Yes. You got it. In Western West Virginia, I guess I could safely say that's accurate enough. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken here, and we've been visiting with Cheryl Denise, reading her poems. Thanks, Charlie. You're listening to Poetry Spoken Here. We've been visiting with Cheryl Denise, coming to us from a farm in West Virginia, where she raises sheep and writes poetry. And now I'd like to shift gears and talk about someone from the far north. Tanya Tagak was born in Cambridge Bay, Nunavut. It's what's known as the High Arctic. That little town has a population of about 1,700. And if you wanted to visit there, you better be prepared to fly in. Tanya is renowned as an Inuit throat singer up in Canada. She won the Polaris Music Prize and the Juno Award, these for recent albums. But she's performed at Carnegie Hall in New York City. She's accompanied, toured with the Kronos Quartet, recorded with Bjork, and recently she shares billing with Buffy St. Marie on Buffy's latest album. The reason she's being talked about here today is because she has a new book, her first book, called Split Tooth, which is a blend of fiction, memoir, dream, fantasy, and poetry, Called from 20 years of journal writing. It's recently released and already nominated for the 2018 Scotiabank Giller Prize. Uh, so it's uh, really a pleasure to have this book because I love Tanya's Throat Singing and you should go to YouTube and check it out. The book has poetry in it and, and it's about parts of life and the world that most of us know little or nothing about. The book is dedicated to the murdered and disappeared indigenous women and girls and to survivors of residential schools. Canada's residential schools were as bad or worse as those in the United States. And, astonishingly, they were closed in 1996. So, anyway, this memoir feels like a a true portrayal of life in the High Arctic. Or let me say the memoir, what seem to be the memoir components of the book, feel like a true portrayal of life in the High Arctic. I'm going to as usual, read you a couple of segments so you can make your own judgment, see what you think. Uh, there's the, obviously, when you live up there like that, there's a real closeness to nature. Uh, and here's, here's a little something that I think you will find expresses that. Spring, you know, smells unleashed from the spring thaw lift us into a frenzied desperation for movement. The air is so clean you can smell the difference between smooth rock and jagged. You can smell water running over shale. Lichen smells sweet. The green lichen smells different from black. In the spring you smell last fall's death and this year's growth as the elder lichen shows the young how to grow. The freeze traps life and stops time. The thaw releases it. And, uh... Another little piece I'd like to share with you, this is when Tanya, uh, the character anyway, the main character of the book, uh, can't necessarily say it's Tanya because, as I said, it goes from um, memoir journal to fantasy to dream. But anyway, in this episode, this little thing here, anecdote, the main character is 11 years old and she's out with her little cousin who is seven. And they decide, for a little adventure, something you do, they're going to go out across the tundra. And it goes, We decided to try to make it to Nine Mile Lake. It seemed like just a few kilometers from the top of the hill. This is when I learned that on the tundra, everything is much farther than it seems. The treeless expanse lends itself to illusion. We could handle it. The most daunting task was passing the seagulls' nests. There was no going around them. We had to run through the nesting zone. Courage does not come easily, and we ran as quickly as possible, your little hand in mine. Seagulls scream and dive when you get near their nests. I held my fist up into the sky and waved it as we ran, so they would go for the highest point of contact. I could feel their beaks pecking through my thin gull gloves. We ran as quickly as we could, even losing a few bags of chips from our precious rations. We were red-faced and laughing once we made it through. I'll never forget your sweet little face that day, proud and exhilarated with our accomplishment. I carried your heart in mine. I still do. That detail of raising your fist because you know they'll attack the highest point, uh, that kind of reality. Now, of course, everything is not all sweetness and light up there. And the indigenous community, of, uh, in fact, Cambridge Bay is, is overwhelmingly indigenous, overwhelmingly Inuit. Uh, but it has the problems that a lot of reservations have, a lot of indigenous communities have with drugs, alcohol, addiction, abuse. And here's, here's a segment talking about the negative effects of alcohol. Damn drunks. Addiction is anything that feels good in the moment, but ultimately makes you feel worse. With a generation of the psyche that takes shape physically, all our weaknesses add up and become our strongest adversaries. It is fuel for self-hatred, insecurity, self-pity, and martyrdom. Booze in the belly, hollow of soul, impoverished of morals, out of control. I look forward to the morning when everyone's back to the people I love. A glimpse into the living room reveals ten people in the process of driving away their protectors. This always seems like the goal. Get fucked up enough that the shell of who you are gets cast off, leaving room for who you don't want to be. There are evil beings in the room near the ceiling waiting to take over the drunken bodies. Grudges and frustrations, slobbering at the chance to return to human form, to violate, to kill, to fornicate. Old spirits conniving and contriving more strife. Fuck this. I get dressed and sneak out of the house. When your body is clear, there's control. When your body is clear, you can choose whom to let in. There is love everywhere. As you can see, Tanya's a powerful de- describer, very in- insightful as well. There's, there's one more. There's, there's a section of the book in which the character goes out, and this is where you really get into a kind of a fantasy, it made me think of Castaneda dream sequence, lays down naked on the ice, and essentially um, gets it on with the Northern Lights. And I was thinking, well, if I were a woman, and I had a choice of being impregnated by the angel Gabriel or the Northern Lights, I'd probably go for the Northern Lights, The northern lights have descended upon me during my spirit journey, fantastical and omnipotent. They're called forth by the exploration, shining brighter and clearer than I ever witnessed. They came down in a mighty and cyclonic display of plower, mere meters above me. They sound like ancient whales and snapping ice. I'm skipping down a little bit the light glows too hard i'm blind the light shapes itself into long shards and attaches to the surface of my eyes my nostrils begin to burn as a glow grows down my face and cheeks i groan as it travels up my nose into my sinus cavities my ears become plugged and filled i'm healed with torture the slitting continues down my belly lighting up my liver and excavating my bladder An impossible column of green light simultaneously impales my vagina and anus. My clit explodes. I'm split in two from head to toe as the light from my throat joins the light in my womb and begins to make a giant fluid figure eight in my body. Pain. I'm naked and freezing. My skin almost tears off the ice as I stand up. My clothes are scattered around me. I'm shaking violently. I put on my clothes. Stagger home. And one more little piece, because I did say there's some poetry in here. And in fact, there are, at first I thought there weren't so many, but when I went back to prepare to talk to you, there are over 30 poems scattered among the bits of prose. And this one is called That Time. And the character talks about a friend. That time, your skinny legs and buck teeth gave no hint of your scathing bravado. You told me your mom told you to stand up for yourself. No matter what, even though you only reached our chins. You stood up for me, too, that time in the summer midnight. I wanted to be brave like you. So we stole my parents' quad and opened the gas tank to breathe in the excitement, the iridescence, the speed. We crashed into the church after getting drunk on the wind. As you lay motionless, I found what prayer was, begging. That you breathe again. I'm skipping a little bit. That time we shared men without jealousy and shared our love secretly. When my time came to protect you, the night he wanted you but you didn't want him back, I threw him down the stairs and finally felt strong enough for you. So, this is Split Tooth I'm reading from by Tanya Tagak. I'm Charlie Rossiter. This has been Poetry Spoken Here. Be with us again next time to let poetry speak to you. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember... Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address Poetry Spoken Here at gmail.com.